Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Welcome to the Robots Podcast. I am Jana, and today we're travelling down under to hear more about Hadrian, a bricklaying robot from Australia. We all know that building a house is no easy feat, and let's face it, usually takes months or at least several weeks. Well, an Australian company has now come up with a solution. The solution is called Hadrian and takes the form of a bricklaying robot that can build a full-sized house in just two days. It might look like a glorified crane at first glance, but Hadrian is so much more. Working up to 20 times faster than a human with a top laying speed of a thousand bricks per hour, this robot may revolutionize the building industry. The first commercial version of the robot could become available this year. So our interviewer, Ron Vanderclay, talked to Mark Pivak from Fast Break Robotics to find out what Hadrian is all about. Firstly, get you, Mark, to introduce yourself to our podcast listeners. I'm uh, Mark Pivak. I'm the Chief Technical Officer for Fast Brick Robotics, and we're developing the world's first fully automated end-to-end bricklaying robot. Fantastic. So why a bricklaying robot? Well, people have been laying bricks for over 6,000 years and have been trying to automate the process and, and the intellectual property prior art goes back to the times of the Industrial Revolution. The big issues at the moment for automation really are tackling anything that's dull, dirty or dangerous and uh, bricklaying actually ticks all three of those. Although it's not immediately dangerous, over a long period of time there's a lot of repetitive strain injuries. Uh, It's a job which in Australia is out in the sun so there's quite a high skin cancer risk and any jobs which are, are dull and dirty and repetitive, and bricklaying certainly is, um, it's very difficult to attract uh, young people to take up the trade. So the bricklaying organisations and the builders are having a lot of trouble training people. Even once they do attract a few people to um, start up the bricklaying apprenticeships, they have over a 50% dropout rate. So really, it's a, it's a supply-side-driven issue in that there's not enough bricklayers, particularly in Australia, but we also know that it's throughout the world. And in lower labour cost countries, there may be a pool of labour which is willing to do the bricklaying, but they have issues with getting the appropriate skill and the training of those people to become bricklayers. Because although bricklaying is a repetitive task, it's actually quite a craftsman type of task because bricklayers don't just put bricks down. A lot of the other work they do involves uh, setting out the actual size of the house, so making sure that it's the right dimensions and square and that the windows and doors end up in the right place is actually quite a skilled job. So although somebody can be trained up in a few days or weeks to become a productive bricklayer that's just putting bricks down in a straight line or on a straight wall, it actually takes a full apprenticeship and you know years of training to really understand the intricacies of building an entire house from scratch from bricks 
you know, to the modern standards. Of course, you know, 6,000 years ago, people didn't really care. But these days, there's a whole bunch of different standards and requirements um, which vary depending on the location of the house, you know, whether it's in a, a cyclonic region and needs special roof tie, tie down straps put in, or whether it's close to uh, a coastal environment and needs different mortar specification, or in a bushfire area where the bricklaying needs to uh, meet certain fire requirements, or in commercial buildings again where you get certain fire requirements. And of course, the modern requirements for insulation and, and thermal performance of buildings is meaning that the brick laying process is becoming more complicated with bigger bricks, pre-insulated bricks or insulation added between the bricks. You add up all these various complications and it really is pretty much a no-brainer that bricks are going to be used into the future of building houses or commercial buildings. It really needs to become an automated process and that's why we've tackled it. Okay, that, that's fantastic. Okay, your product, if if I can get you to describe your robot to the listeners. Our prototype robot is uh, a 25-tonne machine which can reach out 28 metres. So the idea of it is you deliver the machine to site, you park it once at the building site and then the boom is big enough to reach over the entire building site. So if you would like to picture how this thing works in reality, uh, the building site will be pre-prepared and, and the concrete slab laid and then the bricks delivered to site. We turn up with our machine. Uh, tally handlers used to load the bricks onto the machine. The machine can take three packs of bricks. Uh, there's automated de-hacking robots which take a, a row of bricks off each pack and place them onto a shuttle which then transports the bricks either to a saw or a router or a transfer robot which then places them onto a chain conveyor where the bricks are gripped by uh, little screw grippers and they are transported then out to a laying head which is a very dynamic a spherical geometry robot which has uh, linear motors and direct drive torque motors on it uh, and also some harmonic drive uh, motors. That laying head, the position is monitored in six degrees of freedom, so three linear XYZ coordinates and also their orientation uh, by a laser tracker and a smart track sensor. Uh, those positions are read in a very high speed, somewhere in the order of 100 hertz to 1000 hertz into our CNC control system. Uh, which calculates how much the boom has moved from where it actually should be. That could be either due to slight uh, mechanical inaccuracies or wind or just the dynamic motion of it moving around. So we know precisely uh, to fractions of a millimetre and fractions of a degree how that end of the boom is uh, positioned and orientated and we work out where the gripper should be and where it actually is and apply a little compensation there so that the uh, laying head or the robotic arm of the laying head plucks the bricks off the end of the boom and places them. And just prior to that, a uh, layer of adhesive is applied to the bricks. Uh, one of the reasons which we... Well, we use adhesive for a number of reasons as opposed to mortar. We have used mortar in the past and we can handle it, but there are a number of issues with mortar. And the main one is that it has quite high thermal conductivity relative to the bricks. So the uh, modern construction methods are shifting towards a foaming adhesive, which is uh, quite insulating and uh, 
has less of a thermal bridging effect compared to mortar. So we apply just a bed of adhesive, the horizontal joints of the brick. We don't worry about or we don't do the vertical joints because our initial targeting is for the rendered construction market and when you apply the render that goes into the vertical joints and it helps the render key on and also provides that bonding on the vertical uh, what's called the vertical perp joints uh, we can we are in the long run aiming to lay face brick uh, but we do intend to do that with again either a thin bed mortar or an adhesive and a beveled finish on the edges of the bricks to give that sort of jointed effect we could of course use mortar but the uh, modern thermal requirements are sort of moving away from that and also there's quite a big cleanup involved. Um, the adhesives we use don't set until they're exposed to either the oxygen or the moisture in the air. So when they're inside the machine, uh, there's no cleanup problems in the pipes and so on. Whereas uh, mortar and thin bed mortars are a cement-based product, which is uh, a hydration reaction. So as soon as you mix it, with the water they start to set so you've got a limited time frame and then of course you have to clean it out and with uh, up to 60 meters of hose on a machine that becomes quite a, an issue in itself so really our whole approach has been to look at all the labor and time consuming processes of either brick laying or operating a machine and trying to design out those uh, time consuming and expensive human aspects from the machine Okay, on a high level, what type of competition do you have? I've heard of robots like uh, the one in the US, SAM, sets your product apart. Our main difference is that we handle the brick laying process from end to end. So from the moment the bricks are delivered to the building site through to the time of the finished house or structure, we've tackled it with an automated approach. So our competitors like uh, SAM in the US, they require manual beating of the bricks to the robot quite close to where the bricks are being laid. Um, in its current version, Sam can only build one wall at a time. It needs to be taught where the windows and doors are along that wall. Uh, it also needs a, a mason, you know, trained bricklaying person to um, be there to help it out with certain things and do the setup. Our process is fairly automated right from the design phase. So we take a 3D SolidWorks model and uh, we've written special API interfaces to that to calculate where all the bricks and cuts and all that sort of thing happens. So even the generation of our G-Code program is quite automatic. Uh, we handle the bricks automatically from the moment they're placed on the machine, which of course we're placing uh, packs of bricks, be done by a forklift or tally handler. And from there right through to the laid brick, it's untouched by a human hand. Okay. So as um, do you when, when we're talking about describing your machine, you mentioned it didn't have hydraulics, so it's just driven by electric motors and servo. Yeah, the entire machine is uh, servo electric. Our first prototype has quite a lot of pneumatic components on it, but our next prototype is moving to be almost entirely electric, and the only pneumatics on it really will be used for uh, cleaning and contamination control. Okay, we talked about the software and uh, that you're using a SolidWorks um, model and you're creating um, CNC code directly from that. To, to yeah, that's been, that's been one of the major parts of our project has been figuring out a good way to come up with the program for BrickLane. Um, we've looked at a lot of different ways of doing it and uh, although it's a similar process 
to 3D printing in that we build up layer by layer. Um, we have to consider that each brick is finite volume of and fixed size, whereas with 3D printing you're dealing with something which is a lot more flexible in terms of uh, it's a much smaller voxel or 3D pixel which if you want to look at it that way. So we're building up a structure out of um, fairly big voxels or, or 3D pixels um, which are not cubic, they're, they're rectangular, you know, they're a rectangular prism. Um, so we have to deal with that and we have to um, manage a lot of complication and issues to do with uh, the way they're cut. You know, we can't just cut off, say, a 10 millimetre thick sliver of brick. How do we handle that throughout the rest of the machine? So it's really, you know, like most computer programming, you can bang out the, the basic guts of how the program works in, you know, maybe a day or two, and, and then you spend the next five years perfecting it to handle all the intricacies and complications. And, and certainly that's been a, a big part of our processes of development has been dealing with all those intricacies of cut bricks and, and um, corners and and getting the bricks to mesh properly and figuring out practical ways for operators to be able to program this thing in a way that uh, is faster than a brick like building, building the actual house. And um, in speaking about uh, uh what have been the biggest problems that you've overcome? The biggest problem for us has always been, until quite recently, the financial problem. We've known that uh, there's a fantastic market out there. You know, the annual bricklaying market worldwide is just absolutely massive. I got extremely interested in this project when uh, we came up with the concept for an automated bricklaying machine and I really had no idea how many bricks were being used. All I knew was that bricklaying was in the news because there weren't enough bricklayers available and, and the price of laying a brick had, had doubled in, in 12 months, which is usually an odd, gives you an indication that there's uh, something going on in the market, either a lack of supply or a, or a massive increase in demand. So I jumped on the um, Bureau of Statistics website and saw that there were over 2 billion bricks a year being made in, in Australia and I figured that at a dollar a brick to lay them it was a pretty good market and one worth tackling. So we kind of approached the um, the design of the machine without too much concern about how, how much it would cost because we knew there was a good market at the end point and like all things in automation as your production numbers go up the costs come down and we figured that we'd be able to get the costs under control later on but as you can appreciate it's a pretty massive automation task that covers a lot of different disciplines and is basically trying to build an entire production line or production plan on something that can be moved from site to site, operated outside in, in pretty much all sort of practical weather. So um, from a technical point of view, you know, you can, most engineers know how to deal with those sorts of issues, but it's getting the funding to, um, to sort that out. And in Australia, you know, for a long time, there's been a reluctance to fund either manufacturing or, or technology-based industries. And we've had a very um, busy mining environment. As a consequence, you know, the financial people have been more interested in mining and uh, you know, unfortunately for Australia as a whole but fortunately for the tech sector uh, there's been a big downturn in mining and commodity prices and, and the financial capital markets uh, are looking for technology and manufacturing and um, you know, apps and all those sorts of things so um, it's kind of been a case of working at a slow rate for eight years to get the timing right so that it matches up with the financial markets and um, you know we're, we're well funded now now and, and now we can uh, get in place a lot of uh, technical solutions that just weren't financially possible before and bring our product to market. Okay. So what, what comes after this? This is uh, currently 
you've got the uh, prototype, you're going to be going to product, is it next year? Or? We have a series of prototypes and production machines coming up. Our first prototype, which we call the 105, is really a technology demonstrator to prove that it's possible. We know that there's a number of things with that 105 machine, which mean that it's not likely to be used building houses on site. would be suitable for some other applications such as uh, freeway sound wall and things like that but it's not ideally suited to the Australian residential market in its current form. So we're pretty well progressed on our next prototype which we call the 109 and we see that as being the pre-production prototype which will start building uh, early in 2016. And uh, provided that one passes all of its uh, tests and meets its expectations, then that will become the basis for our production machine. So um, I'm kind of stepping further down. Is there anything else planned? Um, we spoke about the possibility of rendering machines. Is, is there other attachments things that you... Uh, look, there's a, a lot of different possibilities for large-scale robotic construction and, and automation. The key technologies that we've developed are what we call coarse fine positioning so that we can approximately position over a very wide area and then measure very precisely that position and have a fine manipulator which can then do quite precise work in a, in a much smaller volume but because it can be moved throughout a big volume it means that we can do tasks which would normally only be possible to automate in a factory with fixed robots. We can now tackle those tasks out, outside or in a much bigger area. So there's a, a whole range of different possibilities, you know, range from uh, riveting and, and automated fastening, uh, automated welding, sandblasting, painting, all sorts of different kinds of uh, processes, uh, rendering. You know, if you can imagine that there's a market big enough out there to justify the development cost, then really the world's your oyster. Fantastic. Okay. What are the job prospects in robotics in Australia? Are they getting better? Um... Oh, look, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to talk to. I'm more of a, a cup is half full guy. <laughs> And the cup is half empty. Um, but to give you an example, I've got three mechatronics graduates uh, who've just finished their course. They're now employed um, with us here. Um, so from our point of view, we, we think there's fantastic uh, employment prospects for, for bright young engineers. Australia as a whole, I think, has still got a way to go. Um, but certainly it's pretty widely recognised that there's not enough engineers around the place and certainly at the moment in WA there's probably a few more engineers than than the market wants at the moment but give it a year or two and that will probably change around and a lot of that is WA is driven by the resources uh, sector and that follows through to the manufacturing sector you know a lot of Australian manufacturing has disappeared over the last few years because of um, the high exchange or high exchange rates meaning that you know we've become fairly expensive in Australia but with the dollar sitting at about 72 cents as opposed to a dollar 10 now we've just become 30 percent cheaper than we were a couple of years ago I don't know too many industries that can become 30 percent cheaper you know without doing anything <laughs> I think it's probably a big issue for Australia is, you know, we all understand that it's a global economy and we have to have a floating exchange rate, but floating to the degree that it does in Australia, where in my working career, I've seen the dollar as low as 52 cents and as high as the dollar 10. So um, any long-term planning, you know, for industries which have to have presence for 
20 or 30 years, you know, to become efficient car manufacturing. There's such a, a massive amount of infrastructure, training and technology and associated first, second, third, fourth tier suppliers that feed that production line. You, know, you can't just set up a car industry or a robotics automation industry overnight. It takes years to um, develop the technology and the expertise to do that. But probably in Australia, one of our biggest issues is the fluctuating exchange rate because, you know, we try and we're going through the same thing now looking at where we're going to produce these machines and um, you know the biggest factor of uncertainty in our production planning is what's our exchange rate going to be in three years time nobody can crystal ball gaze out there is it going to be 75 cents is it going to be a dollar 10 it's going to be 52 cents it's going to be two dollars who knows which makes it extremely difficult to plan uh, so yeah we've got some issues in australia that we need to figure out some way to deal with okay on behalf of the podcast i'd like to thank you Mark, for your time, and uh, we'd like to keep in touch and see where your product is going in the future. Thank Thanks, Ron. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for today. As always, if you'd like to get more information about this or any of our past episodes, just visit us at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Build with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.